Jamie McLeod Skinner is running for Congress in Oregon's newly configured 5th Congressional District. She is challenging incumbent Kurt Schrader in the Democratic Party primary on May 17th. The new 5th District stretches from Deschutes County over the Cascades and north to Clackamas and Multnomah Counties. Bend, Redmond, Sisters, and other Deschutes County residents who were formerly in the 2nd Congressional District are now in the 5th District after district lines were redrawn following the 2020 census. You can find a map of the 5th District under this conversation on the Something to Talk About page at www.theradicalsongbook.com. This is McLeod Skinner's second run for Congress. In 2018, she challenged longtime Republican incumbent Greg Walden in the old 2nd District. She lost that race but got more votes against Walden than any previous challenger, around 39% of the vote, even though she was outspent by more than 4 to 1. Walden retired two years later. Jamie McLeod Skinner lives in Terrebonne, Oregon with her wife, Cass. I had opportunity to speak with McLeod Skinner on March 17, 2022, and this podcast will be available until the election on May 17th and hopefully beyond. Jamie McLeod Skinner, welcome to the Radical Songbook Podcast. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to have this conversation. Uh, really, really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I know you're busy running a campaign, running in a campaign, running for office. So we'll get right into it. So this is, as I said earlier, this is your second run for Congress. And I, I guess I have to ask, given how crazy things have been in Congress the past few years, why would you want to go there? <laughs> well, this is a time of crisis, but it's also a time of hope. And uh, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done. We are, our, our climate's in crisis, our working families are in crisis, and our democracy's in crisis. And so we need folks to step up who can, uh, who understand what Oregonians are going through and who will uh, step up to provide the leadership needed right now. And I know that those are your priorities. I've looked at your website and those, those points that you raised, and I want to get right back to them. But first, I think it would be good for our listeners to know um, – and I know from the re- reading your reading about your campaign both this year and and previously that you've done a lot in in terms of public service over a long period of time. Can you give our listeners a sense of what your experience is? Uh, sure. My I'm actually uh, graduated high school in Southern Oregon, um, and my academic backgrounds in in civil engineering and regional planning. But I really began my public service over in post-war Bosnia and Kosovo. Uh, I wanted to. The war had just ended, and I felt a strong desire to serve, but I was out. And back then, if you were out, you could not join the military. So I work for the International Rescue Committee. It's a humanitarian organization, and I manage the reconstruction of schools and hospitals uh, in Bosnia and in Kosovo. And when I wanted to come back to the state, the IRC asked me to run their refugee resettlement office in the South Bay in the Bay Area. So I worked in that area for a while. I served on a city council for eight years. I worked as a city planner, environmental planner, uh, before returning home to Oregon, uh, getting a law degree focused on natural resource law, essentially water law and Indian law. And I've been involved in politics um, and in in other forms of community service, uh, in addition to to running in 2018 and and really working hard to uh, bridge build bridges between folks um, with the the urban-rural divide, but also the political divide. Uh, But another big challenge we face right now is is the climate crisis. And last year, 
I spent about uh, half the year working in a rural town that, that had uh, lost a third of its homes to wildfire back in 2020. And I helped the, the city get back on its feet and get the resources it needs to start rebuilding. Um, so the, the challenges that we're facing around climate, whether it's wildfire risk or the drought that, that uh, farmers are facing, especially in central Oregon, is something that's uh, very near and dear to my heart and something I've worked on. I'm also actually working on a, an affordable housing project right now that's working to serve as a model to provide a, affordable homeownership opportunities. These are all things, uh, challenges that our families are facing and things I want to work on in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, the climate crisis in particular, I mean, uh, here in central Oregon where, where we live, um, you know, just just the, the, the reports about the extended drought um, that we're facing, not just here, but throughout the West, the Western U.S., are, it's, they're pretty dire reports, and, and uh, it's really going to take a lot of, uh, I think, community effort and elected officials working together to uh, try and mitigate it as much as possible. That's absolutely right, and it's looking at the uh, both the the results, and the impact of our of the impact we've had on our climate of, of climate change, but in Congress we also have the opportunity to really in, change that trajectory from the destructive path we're on right now to a path of hope and, and a path of long-term sustainability. Uh, right now, our taxpayer dollars are being spent paying for fossil fuels that are investing and in, in subsidizing fossil fuels that are actually de uh, destroying our planet and causing the impacts that we're seeing in terms of wildfire risk and drought. And so we really need to change those investments and then also provide opportunities for better uh, recovery efforts when, when you know, families and, and farmers are struggling. Um, and, you know, a distinct, a distinct contrast in this race is I've never taken – a uh, corporate PAC dime in my, I was first elected in 2004 to a city council, but in all my races and in, in service, um, I believe in accountability to voters. I'm running against the guy who takes a tremendous amount of money from uh, oil and gas companies, something like uh, 300,000, I think is at last count. And so that, that aspect of being beholden to those causing the problems is a real, is a, is a real danger to us because, um, you know, often, and we, we see it in this case, that, that votes are following um, the, the, the fundraising and the, the funds received. Yeah, and I want to get back to that, too, uh, uh, your, your opponent in the primary. But I wanted to first uh, dwell a little, talk a little bit more about, about your priorities, because in addition to climate crisis, you've mentioned supporting working families and economic recovery. Um, can you uh, amplify on, on what you would like to do uh, on those issues? Yeah, so there, you know, we've seen our middle class being undermined for the past couple decades. And so um, reversing some of those trends and then also in really investing in our families. And we've just been through a really tough time with COVID and families are trying to get uh, back on their feet. So things like affordable housing, housing costs have just gone through the roof and, and people can't afford a roof over their head. You know, one of the things that I used to say a lot in 2018, and, and I'm saying it now as well, is that regardless of party affiliation, we all want to put a roof over our head and food on our table. We want opportunities for our kids. We want health care for our families uh, when they, they're sick. And, and also we don't want our, our homes to burn down. And we don't want to lose our you know, farms. And so all of those aspects of, 
um, investing in affordable housing and uh, investing in um, in education, more pre-K and then also post-secondary as well, and then also investing uh, more in our educators now. In there's so many programs, there's so many opportunities we can be doing to reduce class size, uh, take some of the stress off our educators who are just doing a phenomenal job of somehow keeping things together. Um, you know, in talking to, to educators, and my mom's a retired teacher, it's it's just heartbreaking what they're going through right now and how they're trying to keep, um, you know, kids healthy and students healthy and how they're, they're trying to keep the system together when it's really broken. So there's a lot of investment needed there. Um, and then healthcare. I mean, healthcare we were talking about a lot uh, four years ago. It's it's still a major a major issue. So investments in making sure we all have access to, um, you know, uh, affordable a full range of healthcare and, and all those those things we need in both physical and mental healthcare because the behavioral health aspect we've seen that especially challenges spike during COVID um, the challenges people have been facing, and those are just smart investments. There's there's systems, there's things that other countries are doing, that are cost-effective methods that we can be following to make sure everyone has access to those necessary uh, services. And, um, and then also just to, to provide support, uh, invest in the pipeline of folks who want to go into the field of education or want to go into the healthcare profession, um, expanding some of those, um, uh, those, those programs for you know, starting in high school and getting students interested in those professions and then giving them a path forward, if, even if they don't come from wealthy families, to be able to beco- become medical professionals or educators. There's so many investments we could be making in the future, and those are things that I just, I would really like to see us um, do more of, and especially in this transition time coming out of COVID. Oh, another big thing is, is child care. There are folks who, who want to go back to work, but uh, child care is so incredibly expensive that they can't. And so those are just, you know, no-brainer, invest in your community, invest in your economy, and, and allow your economy to grow again. We're, we're missing those opportunities right now, and i like to see us do more. And I've always said this. I, as a public official, I don't believe in spending public money. I believe in investing it. And investing in child care so you can, people can go back to work and kids can be taken care of, and that's an investment. Uh, housing is another big one in Central Oregon. And I give um, the the Bend City Council a lot of credit. They're working very hard, and our legislators, our, our state legislators, are working very hard to come up with creative programs to provide more affordable housing. Uh, the, the federal government could be stepping up more to invest in what's called um, community block grant programs, CDBG funding, that can help to uh, provide the resources to to build more affordable homes for folks. In terms of helping working families. I believe that you are a supporter of what's called the PRO Act, P-R-O, which gives, which is basically a legislation that will make it easier for workers to organize unions. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a, a, a proud former union member myself. Um, I've, you know, come from uh, working, working family stock. My grandparents uh, worked in a factory and were, were proud union members. And uh, that ability to, to organize is critically important. You know, I, one of the crises that we're facing, I mentioned, is our democracy. And, yes, that includes voting rights, but that also includes the right to organize. That's fundamental to, to our, our healthy democracy and a functional democracy. And this is another clear distinction in this race. I'm running against someone who 
uh, voted twice against the PRO Act, uh, which was essentially legislation to do just that. Um, and uh, before he was, um, his office was uh, picketed and he finally came around and voted for it the third time. But he voted twice against the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. And that's, um, you know, that's one of those reasons why there's just such a sense that he's really not in touch with uh, working families in Oregon. And then just to make another point, because you mentioned him as an incumbent, I mean, technically, yes, he is a sitting member of Congress, but when the lines were redrawn, this new district has less than a half of an overlap. So 53% of voters in this new district will never have seen his name on a ballot. That's Kurt Schrader. And, yeah. um, and so, he, you know, in this district, he's actually not a true incumbent. He... Um, and so that really gives the opportunity for Oregonians, and especially Central Oregonians, to have someone who knows the area, knows the issues, uh, to be our next uh, member of Congress. Yeah, and I want to get to that in a second, too. But I just want to add, remind listeners, you uh, you yourself, speaking of picket lines, you've recently walked a picket line. Is that correct? <laughs> I, absolutely. I, uh, I step up whenever there's an opportunity to support working families, and sometimes um, you know, sometimes that means standing on a pecket line and, and having that public display of support for uh, working families. And I, I think that's really important for people to see and to, to people to be in, empowered in that way because it's folks who, you know, unions are essentially um, a lot of folks who individually don't have a lot of power but linked arm in arm have a, have a force and a presence. And it, um, it's important. It's important for, for fairness. It's important for people being treated well. And uh, that's, that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm a big fan of unions being able to, to step up and negotiate just to, to make sure the workers are treated fairly. The things that, that um, unions are helping to, helping to protect, I mean, they brought us the weekend. They brought us the 40-hour week. Uh, they brought us the right to have time off with our family, and to care for our loved ones when they're not well. And those are just really core and basic things. And also the right to a, a, a fair and living wage. Um, you know, one of the, the other distinctions is race is I, I do think that people should be uh, get a fair wage, get you know, living wage, and, and raising the, the federal minimum wage is important because people need to be able to feed their families. And you can either argue this from the perspective of the family who's trying to feed their family. You can also argue it from the perspective of if people don't earn a living wage, they will need to, to draw on other community resources, on food stamps and, and other resources that are out there. So it's, it's not, you don't, quote unquote, save any money by, by not treating people fairly. There are just other costs that, that are, are brought to bear. And so, again, this is an invest type mentality of caring for families so that they are caring for, for workers so they can care for their families. I've got a lot of youth um, who have my back and who are, are supporting me. So uh, educators and um, nurses and uh, frontline workers like UFCW and, um, and uh, o, uh, OSEA and, um, and SEIU and uh, just a lot of these really great um, labor organizations that are the folks doing the heavy lifting and have been doing the heavy lifting during the pandemic are supporting me, and I'm just so proud of their support. Yeah, and just so our listeners know, the FCW is the food and commercial workers that represent uh, grocery workers and others around the state. SEIU represents state employees. 
Uh, you mentioned OSEA. I think they're the classified school employees. Your campaign, th- this is something that's somewhat unusual about your campaign, actually, and about your candidacy, is that many of these organizations uh, in the past sit out a, a primary and they'll wait until the general and they, and they won't necessarily endorse. And you have developed, you, know, you have a, a, a rather long list of not only uh, organizations and unions, but elected officials in the district who have decided to endorse you in the primary against a sitting member of Congress. What does that say to you? This is a time of crisis for families, for our climate, but for our democracy. And, uh, you know, Oregonians want someone who's got their back and who will do that work in D.C. And Kurt Schrader has, uh, just in this past year, He's voted against Medicare being able to negotiate prescription drug prices. He was the deciding vote to prevent that from happening. Now, he came back later and worked on kind of a a token bill that just includes a couple drugs and doesn't kick in for several years. But that opportunity to have our our prescription drug prices lowered right now, he was the deciding vote against. Um, He actually initially opposed the American Rescue Plan. When it was that crucial bill to help support pandemic relief. Uh, you know, we were all in the midst of COVID with the vaccinations and the jumpstart to our, uh, our economy and, you know, small business relief. But it also it cut child poverty. He initially voted against it because he thought the, the amount going to families in, in support was too high, and he wouldn't support it until it was dramatically cut back. He's voted numerous times against raising minimum wage. He's voted numerous times against student debt relief. He's the only House Democrat to vote against the Emergency Housing Protections Act, and that's emergency rental assistance and uh, extending foreclosure and eviction moratoriums. As you mentioned before, he voted against the the PRO Act twice until he was picketed and pressured to to finally support it. Um, He he was one of the the handful of Democrats who uh, worked to separate the Build Back Better uh, um, legislation that would have really helped us to address help us emerge from this really tough time that so many are in that would uh, look at investments in both our physical and our social infrastructure. He was one of the core folks who, who separated, uh, separated that bill. And then he also gutted a lot of key, key programs out. So um, he removed clean energy tax credits and raising in, uh, in-home care wages. Those are things that he worked to remove from those bills before they would move forward. And so, um, you know, that, especially in these times, we need someone who's going to have our back. And those are all things that I would have voted for and supported uh, because we need to invest in families to to get us through this tough time. Yeah, and I think it's important for our listeners to realize that the Build Back Better legislation literally creates local jobs, good-paying local jobs. If you've just tuned in, listeners, I'm talking with Jamie McLeod Skinner. She's running for Congress in Oregon's Fifth Congressional District, which uh, includes Deschutes County and then goes over the mount, over the Cascades and up into Clackamas and Multnomah County. Now, because you ran in the second district here in Central Oregon, you're pretty well known over here. Not so much, I would imagine, in Multnomah and Clackamas counties and elsewhere in the valley. So, how's your campaign going over there? Well, actually, I'm over. <laughs> I'm over there right now. Um, and we've been doing a lot of work uh, in the Willamette Valley. It actually, the district also includes a portion of Marion County and also Lynn County. And in terms of the, the relationships and support we've built up, 
Um, you know, we, we're getting a lot of great support in urban and rural areas. Uh, folks are really responding to this message of bringing people together to, to get the job done and, and focus on solutions, you know, bridging those, those divides between us. Uh, but, it, you know, you mentioned people stepping up in the primary. Uh, we've also seen two of the county Democratic parties step up and actually change their rules they can endorse me in the primary. That is unprecedented. So not only Deschutes County decided to do that, but also Lynn County. Um, they, uh, they're actually, the, the County Democratic Party is endorsing me in the primary because they just, there's concern about um, the alternative, uh, about my opponent, Kurt Schrader, and there's also just this real sense of hope for the work that we've been doing, you know, for the past five years in trying to um, invest in, in, in draw out solutions for all these things that, that we've been talking about. So I'm really proud to have that support. Um, but we just keep, you know, it's all about relationship building. It's, it's all about helping people see that we, we can address the crises that we're facing, but there can also be the sense of hope for the future. And I think that's the direction a lot of people want to go. One priority you could possibly just amplify a little bit more on, and that's protecting our democracy. I can tell you just from a personal experience, I mentioned before that I began my public service um, working in post-war Bosnia and Kosovo. I always remember as a young person being pretty critical of our government. But when I was over there and I was seeing just how horrific some of the alternatives are and, and the, the horror of war, I remember having this epiphany that I think we in the United States have the best imperfect form of government in that it allows us to get involved. It allows us to vote. It allows us to uh, elect our leaders and hold our leaders accountable. Now, we saw uh, last year on January 6th with the insurrection just how fragile our democracy can be if we don't uh, claim it and, and ensure uh, voting rights and, and protect our democracy. Those things are, are on us all to do. So it's, it's those big things, it's voting rights, it's legislation that we should be passing in Congress, uh, but it's also some of those um, almost more local and, and day-to-day things about building some of the relationships across the barriers that we have, getting out of our, our silos, uh, our political silos, and building relationships. Um, that's something that we spent a lot of time, well, really for the past five years, but especially in 2018, and, and I think people across the political divide are really hungry for that sense of hope of being able to work together to solve our common problems. That does bring me to what you mentioned earlier, the what, what's, what's known as the urban-rural divide. I think especially in Central Oregon, um, you know, there's, there's a sense that we, especially if you live in a more rural area, you know, we know that we're, we're interdependent on our neighbors. And, and then also the risks that we face, you know, wildfire, when it's coming through, it doesn't check party affiliation. It just destroys everything in its path. And so that sense of a shared, uh, uh, you know, a, a common uh, destiny and a common future is something that's very real to a lot of folks. Um, and so using that as the focus and finding our commonalities and, and also these common challenges, I, it does go back to, as I mentioned before, regardless of party affiliation, we, we want to we all want to put a roof over our head and food on our table. We want opportunities for our kids. We want uh, health care for our families that are sick. We want to protect our homes from the disasters, protect our farms, and all of those things are shared are shared commonalities. And so when we can focus on those things, and also stay away from buzzwords is my is one of the strategies I use. 
because if you use buzzwords, then people tend to fall into the trap of the politics and, and that conversation. But we, we talk about our challenges. We talk about the things that we can, we can work together on. Um, that's really, I think that's the path forward. And, and then one other thing is that, you know, when I talk about our democracy, looking back, there's, it hasn't worked for everyone and it hasn't supported everyone. And I think one of the big lessons from COVID is we've got to see even more dramatically the inequities. We've got the racial inequities, the, the, uh, the, the socioeconomic inequities. And so now that we see those more clearly, it's really incumbent on us to build a better future, um, you know, build a, a common and shared future that, and a democracy that works for everyone. If anybody's interested, any of our listeners are interested, how can they um, connect with your campaign? How can they get yard signs? By the time they hear this, they will be able to put yard signs up. And how can they contribute? Well, so my website is jamiefororegon.com. That's just my first name, J-A-M-I-E, and it's the word F-O-R, not the number, and then Oregon.com, jamiefororegon.com. We've got, it's my website. We've got a lot of information on there. If people are able to donate, contribute, that's great. Uh, you can also sign up to volunteer, uh, help us knock on doors, talk to your neighbors, help us make phone calls. Um, I am running against someone who um, takes a lot of money from corporate PACs, and the majority of his money comes from outside the state and comes from from corporate PACs. So he, I mean, I think his numbers are something in the 650000 from Big Pharma, and he's a Big Pharma heir. Um, he takes about, at this point, he's got about 300000 from oil and, and gas companies, and then he's also one of the three Democrats in the House that um, that the Koch brothers, now the Koch Industries, max out on. And they're they're a pay-to-play organization. They uh, pay for folks who vote the way they want them to. Um, the you know Kurt Schrader, the guy I'm running against, um, he, he's often referred to as the Joe Manchin of the House because he's blocked some some of those core programs that Democrats have been trying to to and community-focused folks have been trying to move forward. And so um, nothing personal against him, but, um, you know, we need, we need leadership that recognizes the urgency of now. Um, you know, what I've heard from a lot of folks in his neck of the woods is that he's not the guy they originally sent to Congress. Uh, he's really lost touch with folks, and that's why so many, so many Oregonians want to see someone who's going to, you know, help care for our families and invest in our families and uh, a better climate and uh, protecting our democracy to get us back on track. So, listeners, that's jamiefororegon.com. I always like to ask my guests if there's anything I've left out, any question I should have asked that didn't, anything, any comment that you want to make. Just that this is uh, this is a real opportunity with the newly drawn districts for Central Oregon especially to have a representative in Congress. That really means something because if we have someone from Central Oregon, then it's not an afterthought. It's not so we have to work hard now uh, before the election to make sure that we get the, uh, someone who represents uh, understands Central Oregon and, and represents our needs. That's a real important focus, and then also just working together on all these key issues, uh, helping our working families through this time, focusing on our climate and protecting our de- democracy is it's how we're going to find that path forward. So we're, this is a time of crisis, but this is also a time of hope. And when we work together with this, this shared vision for a future, we'll be okay and we'll get through this tough time. Jamie McLeod Skinner, thanks so much for joining me on the Radical Songbook. Thanks so much for the opportunity.